0: Hello friend and welcome back to the podcast. As always, this is your host Brayden and today I am joining you from my dark but like oppressively lit uh <laughs> home office. If you see any video clips from this you're going to be like, "Why does it look so different?" Well, it is very dark and rainy and cloudy outside here in San Diego. Something I would say we're not super used to, but it has been an unusually rainy uh winter which I've not been loving, but we need the rain, right? We've been in like an eight year long drought, but I'm also recording this much earlier than I normally would in the day. So it's a lot darker. And that is because tonight I am leaving to go to Disney World, which is in theory fun and exciting. But let me tell you, let me tell you a little bit about how I operate and just give you like a day inside the life. I think this is like an ADHD thing, but someone's going to have to let me know. I booked all my travel arrangements. I booked my main, like my flight to Orlando a couple weeks ago, right? And then I booked the rest of my travel arrangements two days ago, okay? And I got a rental car and like a hotel, like did the whole thing. And I booked everything. This is where it gets really wild, friends, okay? I booked everything on the correct dates, okay? Correct dates, right? I'm flying out of town on March 15th. Arriving, I'm taking a red eye. So I get there, you know, early, early Thursday, March 16th. Everything's good on the calendar. But for some reason, last week, this weekend, Monday, most of day yesterday, I somehow thought March 16th was next week. Okay. So I managed to book all my travel arrangements on the correct times But was still scheduling myself to have meetings, you know, today and tomorrow and Friday and early next week, thinking that somehow I'm leaving for Disney a week from today. Simultaneously, like knowing what the date was, because I've been signing contracts and things. I don't know. The wild. That's just it's uh, one of the ways that my brain, I feel like, is broken. This happens from time to time. It's why I think like at some point I just need to hire like an executive assistant who will probably be my mother. And basically, I'll be paying her as an executive assistant, really just to like be my mom and like schedule things for me, right? Let me know if you can relate. That's where I am, though. So instead of just recording this one podcast episode that you're listening to right now, I also will be recording next week's and the weeks and the following week. So I'm doing a batch of three episodes today, which is great because I love um, I prefer batching podcast episodes, I should say I don't really enjoy recording batching, like the recording process of batching episodes, but myself and my team really prefers it when we batch them so we, you know, have a little bit of lead time to get them out. So that's what we're doing, a little bit of background. Okay, today we're going to talk about how to handle copycats. So specifically when we talk about copycats, we're talking about people who are copying your business ideas, your content, content meeting website writing, content meeting course stuff that you sell, content meeting your general artistic uh, vision and point of view. Okay. This is something that I've been seeing more of as I've started promoting my legal subscription. If you haven't already checked that out, that is kind of our th- theme of the month. It's the thing that I'm promoting. Uh, Right now, we're just calling it our legal subscription, but in a couple episodes, I'm going to unveil what I think the new name might be. If you're in my Facebook group, this will be no surprise to you because I've been taking polls on what the name should be. So we're going to talk about that. If you're interested in joining the legal subscription, go to www.notavglaw.com. So that stands for Not Average Law, not avglaw.com. You can check it out. Um, Our founding members launch ends at the end of the month. So March 30th is the last day to join and call yourself like a quote, founding member. Um, That's really the only urgency I have in this. As you all know, I like to do, I, I generally like to do launches and launches usually require you to have some kind of urgency to incentivize people to join by a certain deadline. We don't really have that with this. Like, I don't want to raise the price. I'm not going to turn off um, signups, but this is our founding members launch and a founding members launch has to have an end time. So the only urgency I have to this is all of our founding members, I'm going to send you a little something in the mail. So if you want to get something in the mail and you want to call yourself a founding member and you want to support the business, sign up by the end of the month if you are interested. So I want to share a few brief stories. All of these are going to be a little bit vague because I want them to be confidential in nature so think of these as you know when you see those movies that are like based on a true story right you know that there are some embellishments of, that have been made i'm going to talk about these stories um with the context in my mind of a specific individual in mind but i'm also going to generalize um because each of these stories will 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 kind of be reflective of something that i've seen happen multiple multiple times right? So yeah, I think that's all the explanation I need on that. So the first one is a fellow course creator friend. Uh, this is a friend who has a business pretty similar to mine. We're talking courses, memberships, online programs, online content. And this friend ended up finding out I I don't know how they found out, but they ended up, I think they got a tip off from another friend that another individual was essentially copying their whole business. What do I mean by copying the whole their whole business? Well, the business name was not the same. That's the only thing that was different, but similar industry. But this individual had a smaller audience than my friend, was more getting started, and they bought pretty much all of my friend's programs, downloaded their email opt-ins, bought their less expensive course, bought their more expensive course, and they essentially copied the whole thing, right? This is the issue when we get into copyright. Uh, One of the issues we get into with copyright, I'll have people come to me all the time and they'll say, you know, hey, I'm creating this course for photographers on how to sell this particular type of photography service, or I'm creating a course for virtual assistants on how to land their first client. And I wanna make sure that my students don't eventually create their own course, right? Well, you can't really do that. I mean, you can try, people put in non-compete clauses into other contracts all the time, but most states don't like that, right? Like you can't really inhibit someone's ability to make money. Now, what you don't want them to do is just straight up rip off your content. But where this gets dicey is, you know, if I took Amy Porterfield's course four years ago, on how to become a digital course creator, at what point have I gained enough of my own expertise and know-how and my own systems and my own philosophies and tactics and all those kind of things in order to start educating people on how to become course creators themselves? Right? I'm using this as an example because that's not something I ever intend to do, but people ask me about creating courses all the time because I've done it a lot and I have a lot of insights. And I can share, right, I can share all the things that I learned from Amy. Uh, and to a certain extent, I think it's fine. Because if anything, that kind of like pre sells the program for her. I'm telling people why they should go learn from her. On the other hand, if I teach them everything that Amy taught me, then it would negate the reason for them to buy her program, right? And that's not so good. Could I actually do that? it would take a lot of time. And I'm not doing that for free. And also, that's like, you know, not ethical and also illegal. But I think you all see see where I'm going with this. The the crux of the problem is that ultimately, none of us are fully self-taught for the most part, right? Either we've learned from a co- we've learned our expertise from a college program, right? Like we have a degree in it. Like I learned law theoretically because I went to law school and studied for the bar exam. Most of what I do, I still had to teach myself. But even when I say teach myself. I've taught myself by reading resources that were written by other people on the internet, right? So when I think about my book, which I'm working on updates to it right now, my Unfuck Your Biz book, I had to compile a decent amount of that from secondary sources. A lot of it was from my own learned experience working with clients and navigating systems myself. So I would think that that um, is pretty much all of my own But even that, right, it's like I I got hired by a client to form an LLC. And then I learned about this like hiccup with an LLC formation. And then I write about that experience in the book. But I learned how to form the LLC originally by reading other resources on the internet. So long story short, all of our knowledge is gained from somewhere. But there needs to be a dividing line on, you know, when it becomes our own versus when it's someone else's. And with this particular example, my, my friend who had all of their content ripped off, it was pretty clear that that line was far crossed, right? Like whether the copycat just copy and pasted all of the text and material. Don't know if they went that far, but they definitely bought their friends programs and then basically copied the outline of the program. So almost same modules, same lessons, same framework. Yikes. Not good. So that friend ended up getting another attorney involved and it, it was a little bit of a pickle. So we're going to talk a little bit more about how to prevent and or handle these things in a few minutes. Uh, I had another friend, pr- pretty pretty similar situation. Uh, this one was a little less egregious. This friend sold uh, some templates online and they had a student who was in one of their programs who decided to start a similar business model and they essentially copied all of the same products, right? They're like, well, person A is selling XYZ product. Clearly, the people want XYZ product, So I'm going to sell XYZ product. And really, the problem there was their shopping carts, like their websites looked really, really similar. The titles were really similar. The branding was pretty similar. That's a problem, right? That's going to create customer confusion, And that's what we don't want. So there it's, you know, it's two different issues. And the third example is going to be another great example of this. You have one, like you're stealing my ideas and my work. That's a problem, right? That doesn't feel good. But B, like it's another huge issue if you think that people who are your fans and followers are actually going to go spend money on this other person's website thinking that they're you. Because then they're not only taking your ideas, they're taking the audience that you've built without the audience's knowledge really which is you know which is yikes i've um i was talking about amy earlier she's actually talked on her podcast uh and i think in q and a's and stuff about how uh she used to not be very aggressive with with copycats i don't know if that's changed i haven't gotten a follow up on this cuz it's been a couple years but she's like it's inevitable like you can't always prevent it right and i think that's true there are always people on instagram i see this in facebook groups um Usually, students of the educator will go post in the group, like, Oh, I got this DM from this person telling me I could buy this educator's entire program for $50, right? Like, they ripped it off, they copied it, they're reselling it, like, essentially on the black market uh, somewhere on the internet. And what I find nice is most of the time, people are not going to buy it, right? There are people out there who are going to buy it, but the people who are actually fans and followers of that educator. Uh, or whomever are not going to buy it because they understand that that is ethically and morally not okay. Um, so, yeah, do with that what you will. So that was the se- second example. Third example is a an, an artist friend who had a copy who's had a, a copycat themselves. So this individual has a pretty distinct artistic style. They sell uh, paintings and other artwork in this style. And they had someone who kind of slid into their DMs and was like, Oh my God, I love your work. And before long, this person was making almost direct copies of the artwork. Right. And this one was, this was something I had to research because I wasn't really sure how that worked. Right. Because if I decided I was going to paint my own version of the Mona Lisa, and then sell the Mona Lisa. Like, is that a copyright violation? Like, A, it's probably ar- already out of copyright. B, like, replicas are fine, right? Because you could buy prints and posters of artwork. But this, I think, actually was a copyright issue. You know, consult your own expert on that if you run into this similar type of problem. But these kind of issues, they happen all the time. I think inspiration is fine, but copying and theft is not fine. And when we're dealing with copycats, this is uh, this is kind of the border that we're on. I actually wrote if you went and looked at the not ABG law, the not av- not your average law firm website. Um, I talk a lot about the legal and tax gremlins and how you know, they're kind of like after after you and your business, because it really gets at a feeling that I think a lot of us have. And one of them I named copycat Carla. So you can just imagine that our copycat in each one of these examples is copycat Carla. That's what we'll call her. No offense if your name happens to be Carla, but I just like an alliteration, so that's the name that I picked. So what can we do? What can we do about Copycat Carla? Well, we can file, we can can get copyrights. So I'm gonna read you an excerpt from my book about copyrights, all right? Copyright basics. First things first, we need to review some vocabulary. We have copyright, uh, R-I-G-H-T, so copyright with an R, That's the legal thing we're talking about here. And then we have copywriting or copyright with a W. That's written stuff, right? So you hire a copywriter to write things for you. You hire a copyright with an R lawyer to legally copyright things for you. So right equals legal rights with an R. W equals writing. Uh, And yes, I have copywritten or I have filed a copyright on the copyright inside of this book. Confusing. So now that we're clear on that, let's review some basics of copyrights. A copyright protects a person's quote-unquote original work of authorship, like a song or a book. There are three requirements the work must meet to be deemed a work of authorship. One, it must be original, meaning it's the author's own work. Two, it must be fixed in a tangible expression. It can't just be an idea in your head. It must be recorded on paper, in a photograph, in a video, et cetera. Three, it must have some type of creativity associated with it. For example, if it just just an appendix uh, with a list of trademark classes, often people will give the example of a phone book, which is just a list of name and phone numbers. That's not like there's no creativity associated with that, um, so that's not copyrightable. You obtain a general co- you obtain gener- general copyright privileges as soon as you create your own work. This is commonly misunderstood. So as soon as you create a thing, as soon as you write something, as soon as you create a piece of art, you own the copyright to that. Registering the work with the U.S. Copyright Office is what gives you added protections. Registration allows registrants to more easily defend their works. Absent or registered copyright, owners must show monetary harm to legally pursue someone. For example, if someone ripped off large portions of my book, Unfuck Your Biz, and tried to take legal action without a registered copyright... I'd be limited to suing them for my actual damages or the amount of money I lost due to them getting the knockoff rather than my book. That's tough to do. I'd have a hard time proving those people would have purchased my book if not for the counterfeiter. However, a registered copyright would allow me to sue for money plus attorney fees without actual proof of damages. This is great if you actually plan to sue, but beyond that, it's a serious piece of negotiation leverage when you're dealing with copycat Carlos. Assuming you are in the receiving end of my wrath pursuant to a copyright violation, which email would cause you to take me more seriously? So these are two examples. Email one, it's been brought to my attention that you've been using portions of my book without my consent and violation of my copyright. Attached, you will find the cease and desist letter. Please cease the violating activity. Sign the attached agreement and return it within the next seven days. Email two. It's been brought to my attention that you've been using portions of my book without my consent in violation of my registered copyright, file number 3423462345. I have notified my attorney regarding this matter. She is prepared to file a copyright claim against you seeking $20,000 in damages plus any incurred attorney fees attached. You will find the cease and desist letter. In order to prevent further action, please cease the violating activity, sign the attached agreement, and return it within the next seven days. So which one sounds more serious to you? Email two is definitely more likely to elicit a swifter response, right? We could also threaten legal action in email one, but it would be more of a hollow threat. If someone forwarded that email to me, I tell them they likely don't have too much to worry about if that person's copyright isn't registered. Using the copyright symbol. So this is the C with a circle around it. The copyright symbol is very similar to our trademark symbol with one important difference. The copyright symbol also puts people on notice that the work is yours. This is important. It helps you prove... To someone, It helps you prove someone as being a bad faith actor if you need to sue them. That translates to higher amounts for which you can sue. It also gives you more leverage in a negotiation. Unlike the circle R, which is the trademark symbol, you can use the circle C before you actually register the copyright. Go slap that symbol on everything, provided, of course, that the thing you're making meets the three copyright requirements I already outlined. Copyright ownership. Copyright is owned by the author or creator of a work. This is the default rule. The primary exception to this is works made for hire. Works created by employees are presumed to be works made for hire and are owned by the employer. Works created by contractors can be deemed works made for hire if that contractor signs a valid work made for hire agreement. I typically include work made for hire clauses in each of my contractor agreements. You can get those in the contract club. I typically include, okay, I already said that (laughs) this work provides provided this works provided that the type of work falls within one of the allowable statutory categories. The statutory categories are surprisingly limited. For this reason, I highly recommend asking any contractors creating copyrightable work to sign a copyright release and transfer of ownership. The bundle of rights. A copyright provides a collection of rights, including the right to reproduce the work, the right to display or perform the work, the right to distribute the work, and the right to create derivative works. The owner of a copyright can't transfer or sell any or all of these rights. It's why contract language around copyrights gets so tricky. We call transfer of the full bundle of rights an assignment. Transferring some rights is typically deemed a license. Licenses can be limited to just one of the rights, like the right to distribute the work. If I allowed Amazon to sell my book, I would grant them a limited license to distribute my book. Licenses can also be exclusive or non-exclusive. A non-exclusive license is like saying, hey, I'm permitting you to do this thing, but other people also get to do this thing as well. Registration. There's a specific reason I encourage copyright registration before trademark registration. The reason is purely economical. The filings are only $50 and they're much easier to DIY. So when I say that, this is from the context of my in my program, I teach people what to do at certain stages in business. And I recommend copyrights early on in business just because they're not that expensive and they're not that difficult trademarks, that's a whole different topic. We can talk about that on a different podcast. Um, That's not to say that I don't recommend trademarks if you're early on in business. It's more dependent on cost benefit, like if you're ready to spend the money and if you have a solid name you want to protect. So that was my excerpt on copyrights. I hope that you learned a little bit from that. Um, Registering your copyright, like I mentioned, is a great idea. You can register photographs, collections of photographs, books, Artwork, really any copyrightable material. Uh, I also, so that's that's kind of your preventative thing, right? So what you do to prevent things. We had our copycat Carlos, we talked about earlier, and our three examples. Well, what can those folks do? Well, cease and desist letters, right? But before that, it's always good to send someone. Well, it, it depends on the magnitude of the issue, right? The example I had with the friend who had like her entire business ripped off. With that one, I would probably just go straight to an attorney. Um, Yeah, that because that person needs like probably a swift kick in the ass. For other like less serious issues, where it's you know clear that someone's just taking a little bit too much inspiration from you, maybe you want to give them the benefit of the doubt because they've been following you. You're kind of a mentor to them, and you want to say like, hey, you know, I'm happy to mentor you. Keep following me on Instagram, but you know, you're starting to take a little too many of my ideas. With that kind of a thing, an informal email can be a good place to start. So just you know, politely telling them, I've noticed that you're doing this. I think it's too similar to what I'm doing. Um, you know, I, I don't really want to reach out to my attorney at this point, but would you mind like not doing that, taking that off your website, changing the name of that thing? Like you can start there. If you want to be a little bit more serious or take a second step, you can work with us in the legal subscription and just tell us what's going on, and we can uh, do two things: we can write an email. Uh, for you to send on your own behalf, if you want to make sure that it's worded well, or we can write an email for you. So this is something that I did for a client a couple of weeks ago, just a real short email, you know, hey, our client noticed that you created this thing. It's very similar to client's thing. It, it feels pretty obvious to to us that you are heavily inspired. We think it's very confusing uh, to folks and in breach of our client's copyright. Would you mind adjusting your website accordingly and then we give a couple bullet points and they responded pretty quickly right because no one wants to get into legal action another step would be to do something called a dmca takedown so this is when you file a dmca takedown notice with someone's website or you know if they're on youtube you can do it on youtube and that website so we're talking like squarespace show it whatever they actually have a legal obligation to review your takedown request and then if they think that you have a good case for copyright violation, they will take essentially block it from the internet so no one can view it. And the reason they do this is because under US law, um, any kind of website that hosts content has to have some type of enforcement mechanism to make sure that they are not allowing stolen content on their website. So they tend to take those very seriously. Uh, in fact, I think it's like a whole issue where people will file DMCA takedown notices to be vindictive when they really don't have a claim. It's kind of like almost like credit card chargebacks, right? I think most of you know this. It's way too easy from a business owner's perspective, way too easy for people to file chargebacks on things that you have sufficiently delivered on. Takedowns are kind of, kind of the same, the same way, but we should not abuse them, but they are a tool for us if we need them. And then, of course, we have a cease and desist letter, um, which, you know, is a formal letter typically from an attorney saying, hey, cease the behavior or we are going to take legal action. So those are some of my tips on how to handle your copycat Carlos. If you have any questions, let us know. You can post in the Facebook group. If you're curious about the legal subscription, feel free to send me a DM or go to the website to check it out. Um, I'm really kind of gearing this to folks who are... um, I don't really like to put a revenue marker on it but I think most of the people who have joined are above the six figure mark in business but really you just need to be at the point where $200 a month is not like a huge amount of money to you right like it's not it's not going to um cause you financial distress every month to see that payment come out of the bank and it's well worth the peace of mind you get from knowing that you have an attorney on hand to deal with these copycat situations. That's what I'm hearing from most of the people who joined. Um, One person said, you know, I joined uh, right before I had a launch and I just felt so much better knowing that if I had any issues, I had someone there to help me. So that is the point of the subscription. Let us know if you have questions. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, I'll be back uh, in your podcast app next week for another episode.